Okay, so again, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. God, I thank you for your word, and as we look into it tonight, God, I pray that your word would come, uh, God, and be open to us, God, and it wouldn't simply be words, but it would come with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, God, and that in, in so hearing your word and your gospel, that we would be changed like the Thessalonian believers, and it is in your son's name that we pray, amen. So it's clear from this first chapter that a gospel bomb went off in Thessalonica, right? We see that very clearly in their response to the gospel. And so we hear that a lot, right? Benji said again this morning that his goal is to beat the gospel into our heads each week, right? We hear phrases like preach the gospel to yourself or rehearse the gospel, right? But what does that look like? when the gospel comes into our lives and, and we hear it, okay? What does that look like? And I think the Thessalonians were a really good example of what happened uh, when the gospel came. So we want to look into that um, and see what happened. So we're going to start um, in verse 4, and we're going we're gonna to go from there. So we see in verse 4, um, Paul says this, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So that kind of sets the premise, right? That these Thessalonian Christians were, number one, loved by God, right? And because they were loved by God, they were chosen or they were elected, right, from the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, to hear this gospel and to believe it, right? So he starts off with that confidence and then he gets in, into the reason for that. So that starts in verse 5, and it says this, Because our gospel came to you, 
not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So we want to look at those four elements of the gospel coming to the Thessalonians. So the first one we're going to look at is, is words. Okay, so it came not simply with words. And that doesn't mean that it, it is downplaying the words, not simply with words. Okay, but the gospel did come with words. Okay, so I don't know if you've heard this quote, um, but sometimes we as Christians, like Benji said this morning, come up with some pretty crazy ideas, right? And one of those is this quote that you might have heard, okay? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, okay? That is not what is being talked about here, because the gospel comes to us in words, okay? That God has chosen to reveal himself in a book with words, okay? So that's important. That means something, Okay? The gospel comes in words. And so I want to look at that. Um, if you want to flip over with me to Acts chapter 17, we're going to see how the gospel came to the church in Thessalonica with words. Okay? So Acts 17, verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, the one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So this is the story of the birth of the church in Thessalonica. Okay, and we see that Paul came. Okay, and we see this um, specifically. He came and what did he do? It says, for three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Okay, so we see that the gospel came to them in the words of Scripture, okay? And understanding, at this point, they didn't have the New Testament. It was being written and not complete. So the Scriptures he's talking about is primarily the Old Testament. And he opened, he, I like these words, reasoned and explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. So the gospel came with the words... And those words were the scripture, okay, the written word. And they were about 
Christ. Okay, the content of those words was Jesus. So that's what we see first. That words, the gospel came to them in words, and those words were the word, scripture. And the content was Jesus. So I want to look at one more example of this in the book of uh, Luke. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke 24. Luke 24, yes. We're going to start in verse 13. So this is another lengthy reading. We'll have quite a few of those um, tonight. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Or do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, and returned at once to Jerusalem. They then found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. So we see from this story that Jesus did the same thing with these two on the road. He went to the word, right, the scripture, and he opened it and explained to them, all the things concerning himself. Okay, so we see that the gospel has to come through the word of God. Okay, and the 
the content of that is Jesus, okay? The Bible doesn't just assert things either. We see things here like it's, it says explained to them, okay? It, it proves things. So it doesn't just assert truth. The Bible explains and reasons with us, okay? It, it points things out, and what it points out is Jesus, okay? So one more thing, um, kind of the, the opposite side of this, right? That yes, the Bible does, or the gospel does come to us in words, and it's important that we go to the scripture, but what did Jesus say to the Pharisees in John 5, 39? Okay, this was his, his warning to them. You diligently study the scriptures, he says, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, so we see that the gospel comes to us in words, the scripture, okay, but we want to be careful because those scriptures are meant to point us to Jesus, right? The content is Jesus. So it's not just words, okay? Those words point us to Jesus. So back to 1 Thessalonians. That was the first thing that the gospel came with. It did come with words, okay? But then we see in verse 5, our gospel came not simply with words, but also with power. Okay, so the second thing we see is that the gospel came with power. So what does that mean? So let's look over in Romans chapter 1. And I think this is a, a great verse that helps us understand that. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we understand here that the gospel is the power of God. That is not simply words, but it's the power of God. And that power of God is for our salvation. Okay, the gospel takes us and our dead hearts and it makes us alive. And that's powerful. So it's not just words, it's not just a story, but it's power and it's God's power for our salvation. So the other example of this that I want to look at is in, in 1 Corinthians. So let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to start here in verse 17. So this is another lengthy portion, um, but we'll read it here and then I'll have you keep your finger here because we'll be coming back. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, like we saw with the Thessalonians, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God? For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So there we see the the second thing. The gospel comes to us with power, and that is God's power. And I think this is a good balance here for what we saw in the first one, in the words, right? So the, the gospel does come with words, but Paul is very careful here to explain to the Corinthians that his message and his preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Okay, it wasn't a demonstration of man's wisdom, but it was God's power. So that's what our faith rests on. That's what happens when we preach the gospel. It can't just simply come with words, even if those words are eloquent. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be and that the words should not mean something. They do. But we need to understand in rehearsing that and preaching that to us that it's not the words, it's the power that should form that foundation. And we see here in this passage that Christ is that power. The gospel is the power. Okay? So let's flip back to 1 Thessalonians. Keep your finger here because we're going to be right back here. But we're going to look to the third thing. Okay? So the third thing we see here is that the gospel came not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the third element there is the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to hijack Benji's quote from this morning again from John Owen. Without the Holy Spirit, we may as well burn our Bibles, right? That was great this morning. I loved that because it comes in words and it's powerful, okay? But we are so dependent on the Holy Spirit to open this up to us. So let's flip back to 1 Corinthians, right where we were, and let's look at this. Let's see what Paul has to say in a different spot about the Spirit coming in. 
So we're going to pick right up where we left off in chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we see specifically there in verse 14, the man without the spirit, he does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. Okay, we are so dependent on the Holy Spirit to come in the gospel through those words with power to open up our eyes, open up our understanding to the gospel. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit, okay? So let's flip over into John, and we're going to see a little bit more about the Holy Spirit as we do that. John chapter 16, okay? So seeing that we need the Holy Spirit in our gospel rehearsal, all right, let's, let's look a little bit more about that. John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. Okay, so this is Jesus talking to his disciples, telling them that he's getting ready to go. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. 
He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. So here Jesus makes clear to his disciples that the Spirit is coming and that he will guide them. But when we think about the Holy Spirit here and the Holy Spirit coming in our gospel rehearsal, what are we to think? What, how, how will I know if the Spirit has come, right? Will I start shaking on the ground, right? Will I start speaking in tongues or doing weird things, okay? Will I handle snakes? What does he say right here that the Spirit is going to do? The Spirit is going to magnify Jesus. He's going to point to Jesus. So how do I know in my gospel rehearsal if the Spirit is coming? You look at one thing. Is Christ being magnified, right? Is Christ being made much of? Okay, so that's the evidence that this gospel rehearsal is coming with the Holy Spirit, right? And that's essential as we see in Thessalonians. So let's flip back there. And we'll look at one more thing. So we see the last element here. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, so we've looked at that, but also with power, we've looked at that, with the Holy Spirit. And now we get to this word, with deep conviction. Okay? So, in trying to wrap my head around that, um, in looking at the way that word, deep conviction, is translated in the Greek, Every other time the word is used in the Greek, it is used and translated as full assurance. Okay, so the concept here is that there's an assurance, there's a confidence, right, that came with the gospel rehearsal. Okay, so Kenneth, Kenneth Wiest, his translation of the New Testament, he puts this phrase like this, in much certainty and assurance. Okay, so the Thessalonians were confident in the gospel, and that produced this assurance, right? And so I was trying to, to think of assurance and as it relates to the gospel message, the hope that we have, the hope that we see that the Thessalonians had. And, uh, and I was reminded of, um, of Melissa Haley in... in the last days of her life. And how do I have that assurance? And here you see how in her life, the gospel was able to produce an assurance and how facing death, right? Facing the loss of everything that we know here, she's able to worship and a confidence in her soul that you can see on her face while she lifts her hands in worship, right? That is how the gospel comes. And it comes with this deep assurance, right? That we can know, and we can know with a certainty, okay? That when we face our last enemy death, we can do it with confidence, Right? Because we have a certain promise in the gospel that comes to us through these words, right? And it comes with power and with the Holy Spirit and with this deep 
assurance that should give us a confidence to face anything that comes. And we see that in the life of the Thessalonians, right? What does he say a little bit, a little bit later in verse 6? He says this, In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we see that this gospel that comes, even in the midst of suffering in the Thessalonians' life, produces a joy that's given to us by the Holy Spirit, right? So as we think about rehearsing the gospel, okay, as we, we learn how to do that and what that looks like in our lives, because we know that we need it, we look to the example of the Thessalonians and we see these elements, okay, that we need the word of God, that our gospel rehearsal has to come from the scripture, but it's not just words, okay? Those words are about Jesus, and they should point us to Jesus. And we can, can experience the power that comes from those words. And we can see the Holy Spirit bringing those words to us. And we can know that because Christ is made much of. Okay, and then we can have this abiding assurance. Okay, and that is, I think, for me, the, the good message of, of the Thessalonian believers and their example Okay, but as we do that, I, I don't think it stops there. Because what does Paul go on to say? And I think as we think about rehearsing the gospel, as we think about being encouraged, that is not an end in itself. Because what happened with the Thessalonian believers? Verse 7 says this, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. So we see the point of the gospel coming to the Thessalonians. The point that should be in our lives of gospel rehearsal is not just so that we can experience these things, but so that through the Holy Spirit, that through the gospel working in our life, the message goes out, okay? Not just coming in. It's not just me getting these things and these benefits, but it's for the purpose that that message rings out from our lives. And I think as we do that, okay, as we go to the Word and we see the gospel comes to us through the Word, with power, the Holy Spirit, and that deep assurance, okay, that's the, the fruit, and that's the result, is that it goes out into the lives of others. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, God, the gospel can come into our lives, God, with all of these things. As we, as we go to the word, God, and as you help us understand it, as you reveal it to us, God, I thank you that it comes with power, God, that it's not just a book, God, but it is powerful because the words in the book reveal you, God. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that you have promised to give us your Holy Spirit, God, to open up our eyes, God, and to unstop our deaf ears. And I pray that you would do that, God. And then having seen you in your word, I pray that you would create in our hearts an abiding assurance, God, just a, a deep confidence.
God, so that we can face in the midst of suffering, God, um, we can embrace that message with joy, God, in that the result of that would be that the lives of people around us are also touched with that message, that it rings out from us, God. I thank you that your word is true and that we can trust it, God, and uh, I thank you that it is powerful. And I pray that you would change us by it as we continue to read it and, uh, God, rehearse the gospel and see how it changes us, how you change us through it, God. I thank you for it. Amen.